But as we've already read the, the Christmas story, I'll read it again. But it's important, um, as you know, we studied in the Sunday school lesson and the message here, and then of course on Christmas Eve, that at the time when uh, Augustus Caesar sent out an order, a decree, that all people in the country under the Roman rule, the Roman world, must list their names in a registry. This was the first registration. It was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Um, and all went to their, own home, to their own towns to be registered. So Joseph left Nazareth, the town in Galilee, and went to the town of Bethlehem in Judea, known as the town of David. Joseph went there because he was from the family of David. Joseph registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, um, and who was now pregnant. While they were in Bethlehem, the time came for Mary to have a baby, and she gave birth to her first son. She wrapped the baby with pieces of cloth um, and laid him in a feed trough or in a manger because there was no room in the inn. That night, some shepherds were in the fields nearby watching their sheep. Then the angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord was shining round about them, and they became very frightened. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good tidings or good news that will be of great joy to all people. Today your Savior was born in the town of David. He is Christ the Lord. And this is how you will know him. You will find a baby wrapped in pieces of cloth and lying in a feed trough. Then... A very large group of many angels, great army of angels from heaven, joined the first angel, praising God and saying, Give glory to God in heaven, and on earth let there be peace among people who pleases God. And when the angels left them and went back to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let us go to Bethlehem. Let us see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So the shepherds went quickly and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they told uh, what the angels had said about the child. Everyone was amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured. She kept these things. And the word has pondered them in her heart. And she continued to think about them. Then the shepherds went back to their sheep praising and glorifying God and thanking him for everything they had seen and heard. It had been just as the angel had told them. You know, as we think of the Christmas story, and of course, um, I was said earlier, um, I've been uh, hearing this story and reading it since uh, I was in my mother's womb. <laughs> so uh, I've been in church all these years, you know, almost 90, and uh, I didn't get a rise out of that in Sunday school either, so. so. But anyhow, it's been a long time, 70, uh, 70 years. Uh, I don't know who's 70, but that's beyond the point. So whenever we look at the fullness of time, we look at the time, I, I, I think of it in many ways. One is God has a divine timing, okay? God has a timing for our lives, just as he has a time for the birth of Jesus. It says, when the fullness of time had come. When God would send forth his son made of a woman and under the law. And when we think of this made of a woman and under law, it's like, okay, the Virgin Mary will conceive and have a son. 
and you will name him Jesus, and he will be born in Bethlehem. Now, so for us, hearing it over and over and reading it, there it is in Bethlehem, we don't get the full impact of what all this means. Because for thousands of years, they had been wanting and anticipating a Messiah. The, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, and their faith had wanted and prayed for the Messiah to come and deliver them. And they had glimpses through the prophets of what would happen and what this Messiah would do, where he would be born. And so we have these glimpses throughout history. Their, their history of thousands of years, they would be glimpses of what would happen when the Messiah and where the Messiah would be born. Um, Ephesians 1.10, well, it talks about in the, the, the dispensation of the fullness of time. The dispensation of the fullness of time, those are big words, but it means that when the right time came. And I think of it in our own life, when the right time comes, when the time of our visitation, our appointed time, the time in which the promise that has been spoken to our own heart through the scriptures, when those things come, and it's a promise that we know that God is going to take care of us, we know that God is going to provide for us. We know that God is going to touch our lives in a very certain, a very special way. He has promised good things to us. And so there's this hope in, inside that God is going to do or perform or to work or to walk with us. And those are right hopes. And when the Holy Spirit makes those real to us, there's something that comes to life. There's something special about the Word and there's something special about the promises that God has given because they speak to our own hearts. They speak to us in a way that gives us hope. Speaks to us in a way that we know that our life isn't meaningless. We have a purpose. And it isn't that we are some great, grandiose thing. It is a purpose of living, a purpose of loving, a purpose of giving of ourselves to to others and allowing the Spirit of God to speak and to work through us to do good things. The time when our Lord was, was born, it was the proper time. You know, it is a time in which we mark our calendar from B.C. to A.D. You know, the birth of Christ marks that transition from, from the old to the new. It is a, a transition in which the birth of Christ separates, as it were, two time periods, especially in the, in the church history and in, and in Judaism. That this birth of Christ was in the fourth monarchy. It was in the days of Augustus Caesar, a Roman Empire. And it was a, an empire that ruled the entire world. And we read that in the text, it says that all the world was to be taxed. All the world was to be taxed, and so it was saying that Augustus Caesar had sent out a decree, and Rome controlled most of the then known world. And so when the world was to be taxed, all those under the Roman Empire, the Roman umbrella, had to go and register and had to go and present themselves to a leader in their region and they would have to pay homage or pay tax to him for the for the romans um for the roman empire to continue its its existence and uh luke chapter 2 verse 1 says that the empire was is called all the world so these words that 
are there often thought of it, you know, well, they're going to, you know, all the world is to be taxed. It's like, oh yeah, all the world. <laughs> well, yes, the, all the then known world that the Roman Empire was under. This was the time when the Messiah was to be born. He came according to Daniel's prophecy. Daniel had a prophecy that said, in the days of these kings, the kings of the fourth monarchy, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Hmm. He was born when Judea became a province of the Roman Empire, and Jerusalem was the heart of that province, province but, well, Jerusalem fell. And over 60 years later, we have this taking place with Jesus being born. And it was a juncture that the, at this juncture of Jacob's prophecy, and when he said that the scepter was departed from Judah and lawgivers from between his feet, they were no longer able to. They were no longer able to govern themselves, and so it was that when they Judah, Judah was taken captive by the Roman Empire, that the Messiah would come, and so the, for the first emblem of their being ruled by another country was the first taxation. It was the first time that this would happen to Judah. And so we have these people coming together, a time in which they were going to be taxed. It was interesting that um, we have the lineage of, of Jesus. We have the lineage through Joseph in Matthew. And in Luke, we have the lineage of Mary. And we think, well... Uh, what, was, what was important about that is they were both of the house of David. And the house of David was a promise that God had made that through his descendants all the world would be blessed. So when they are in Nazareth, Nazareth and uh, the decree goes out that all of you must go to the place of your homeland to be taxed, if it was only Joseph, Mary could have stayed back in Nazareth and had her child. Where they, where they were intending. But what happened was Caesar made a decree that all the world should be taxed and they had to go to their own home. And so Mary, as well as Joseph, was of the lineage of David. And so both of them needed to go back to the place of Bethlehem. Bethlehem was the house of David. David, King David, was born there. He was born there a shepherd. He was born there uh, a poor shepherd. And so we have Mary and Joseph going back to Bethlehem. Now you would think, well, okay, that's not such a bad thing. Well, ladies, how many of you have ever had babies? Uh -huh. When you're nine months pregnant and you're about to have a baby, I've seen you walking around. Okay? Okay, let's get on a donkey and let's go riding for a week. How many ladies are going to volunteer for the trip? Huh? You're not going to volunteer for the trip. All right. Well, Mary and Joseph, they needed to be in Bethlehem because the prophecies of the Old Testament of the prophets said, out of Bethlehem the Messiah will be born. Mary and Joseph, even though they had visitations from the angel, 
Even though Mary had received this promise that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will, you will conceive and you will have a child, and Joseph was told that which is if Mary is of God and the Holy Spirit, and his, you are to name him, his name is to be Jesus. So they had received divine revelation, but nobody gave them the news. You got to be in Bethlehem. So here's Mary and Joseph preparing to have their child in Nazareth. But guess what? The prophecy says Bethlehem. So how does Mary and Joseph force themselves to leave Nazareth and go to Bethlehem and Mary has to ride a donkey? <laughs> All right? The Quirinius set up a decree all the world should be taxed. Just like a government official. I'm nine months pregnant and I gotta go, I gotta make this journey on a donkey to go pay taxes. <laughs> and so anyhow, they get on the donkey and they start out for Bethlehem. When they, you say, okay, that doesn't sound, you know, I mean, it's bad enough she's gonna have a child and it's bad enough they have to go on a donkey. But they had to go there to pay taxes. Now, the governor, when he puts them to go there and pay the taxes, what's he doing? Why is he doing this? Well, he's a very jealous guy, all right? And he's, he wants to be impressed. He wants to be impressive to the Romans because they're the ones that, you know, set him up and put him in this position. He wants to tell them, do you know how many people are in my kingdom? I can tell you how many people are in my kingdom because I made them all register with me. <laughs> you know, I want to tell you how many people are under my authority. So they all had to go to their places. Well, Bethlehem is the place where David was born. Bethlehem is the place, it's called the, the house of bread. <laughs> Jesus, he is the bread, the living bread that came down from heaven. When Jesus, in the night he was betrayed, said, this is, when you take this bread and break it, remember me, this is my body, given for you, broken for you. And it was in the place of bread, Bethlehem, that the Messiah, Christ, was born. And so we have all these things coming together that spoke of that speak of how that God had put this together. Now, sometimes we think, well, when people make decisions and it affects us badly, why do those people just don't know what they're doing? Anybody ever had that feeling? <laughs> you know, somebody called you up and said, you got an appointment such as the time, don't break it. Well, when... Quirinius, when the governor set up this tax, he didn't know it. He was doing it for a selfish reason, money, and to know how many people were under his control. But in the divine providence of things, Mary and Joseph were not in the right place for Jesus to be born. So here is a guy, a governor, a ruler, putting into law something that is just fulfilling the plan of God for his son, for the son of God to be born. 
Sometimes we have to look at life and the things that are out of our control and seemingly messing up the whole works. Sometimes we need to realize that perhaps God is behind it. And that the hand of God is upon our life in a special way that he wants us to be in a certain place at a certain time to receive his divine blessing on our life. And so the life isn't necessarily messed up. It's just that, it's just that we're not thinking about what we're doing correctly. And Jesus could have been born in Jerusalem. That also was the ruling city from which David, you know, ruled over the kingdom. But Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he was born in a stable. Now, I don't know if any of you have worked in a barn. <laughs> it's not the cleanest, nor the, it's not very sanitary, and it doesn't smell too good. And um, <laughs> so Jesus was born there. And he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Those are, that's a nice word, swaddling clothes. <laughs> you know, we have this imagery of, you know, baby wrapped in nice linen pieces. No. Swaddling clothes has the idea of strips, ra- strips of rags being torn. I, I think of, I said this in Sunday school, I think of those westerns, you know, where the, the lady pulls up her, her petticoat and she rips off, you know, some strips, you know, and bandages up a wound on somebody's arm. Well, Mary, Mary and Joseph, they were so poor, they had to take the rags that they had with them and rip them up to wrap their baby in. Jesus came in the most abstract poverty, He was the firstborn son, and the firstborn son of anyone, of any family, they would receive a double portion of the inheritance. They were the ones in line, and they were the ones who were the the first in line for honor to be given to them. And here's Jesus, born first in line of extreme poverty. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He who spoke the world into existence became a child to become like us so that we could become like him. And the poverty that he was in, that he came in, was in a smelly barn, no sanitation, no night lights, <laughs> wrapped in rags. And when they had no place to lay him, they put him in the feed trough. The animals are still there. They're not bowing, (laughs) kneeling before them. They're just still there, doing their thing. So, God makes plans. (laughs) And God has circumstances for which we don't really understand. But we know one thing, that Jesus loved us that much, that he became a baby, and that there is no one in the entire world that can say they have been born into a position lower than the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The abstract poverty of which Jesus was in is undeniable. Because if they had any amount of money at all, they would have made room for them in the inn, but they had nothing to offer the innkeeper. And you know that there are sometimes people of our world that are inconsiderate, of people in the greatest of need. 
Here is Mary in the greatest of need. And the, the innkeeper says, we have nothing for you but a barn. And so we look at this, and there's only one other comparison to that. And it's almost like Moses. Remember the story of Moses? His mother hid him. You know, the, the Egyptians had put out a decree, and all male children are to be killed. There's just too many Israelites. There's just too many uh, Israelites in Egypt, too many slaves, and they may overthrow the, the Egyptian empire. So we don't want any men. We want only women to be preserved. So we want to kill all the boys. Well, his mother, Moses, the mo mother of Moses, said there's something different about him. I, want to keep, I have to keep him alive. And you know, in each of our lives, God looks at us and there's something different about you. There's something unique about your spirit. There's something very unique about who you are as a person. And God has kept you. As Moses' mother, she made out of the bulrushes, out of the reeds of the, of the Nile River, she made a little boat. And she covered it with pitch so that it wouldn't sink. She put her baby in that boat and sent him out and down the Nile. Here is the great deliverer, the future deliverer of Egypt, in a boat, little hammock maybe, might call it, floating down at the Nile. And if you know anything about Egyptian history, the river Nile was their greatest god. And the future of Israel is in the as it were, the very hands of the greatest God of the Egyptians who could do nothing to stop that boy from reaching Pharaoh's daughter's uh, hand and she took Moses as her own child. And later he becomes the deliverer of, of, of Israel. Here we have God himself promised throughout the history of Israel that he would come. And he comes, not as a king riding a white horse and charging armies to destroy the, the Romans and set the children of Israel free. He comes as a child, as a baby, in the most humble and most poverty of situations and circumstances. He comes in the form of a helpless child to one day hang upon a cross so that we might be forgiven of our sin. That's the, kind of, that's the story of the, the cross and of the manger and of Bethlehem and of how that God had brought circumstances and arranged and changed and pulled and people uh, making decisions that were only out of, you know, the... the Caesar making decisions that was only out of his greed brought into line the perfect plan of God that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. So Christ is here with us. He has the one who is risen from the dead. By his stripes we are healed. By his blood shed upon the cross we are saved. And so in the shadow of the manger of Bethlehem is the cross of Christ. Amen? Shall we stand?
Father, we thank you for your love that you give to us. And Lord, we thank you for the Christmas story, for it speaks to us of life and of love and of the gift of giving, of the self-sacrifice that you, Lord, you, Lord God, creator of heaven and earth, would become like us so that we could become like you. So I pray, O oh God, for that revelation of your spirit to speak to our hearts and minds that we might receive of your goodness and of your blessing and of your divine favor. We pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.